I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome and to you. the official podcast of the Gibson Review. Each week, we start our episode by talking about our weekend review, move on to our main event, which is either a topic of discussion or a main review. And then we finish up with film faves, our countdown of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. So, this week, or this episode, has been a perfect example of how sometimes plans don't work out. And life happens. Yes. Originally, we had announced on the show notes of our last episode that we were going to do Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman as our main event. That did not work out. Unfortunately, that movie made only 700000 in its opening weekend and was quickly being pulled from theaters. And the opportunities to be able to see the movie quickly dwindled in such a way that it didn't work with our schedule. So, we came up with a plan B. We were going to uh, try to do something that's Halloween-related. I think our plan B ended up actually being what the main event is, which is the horror film Raw. However, we were going to do some sort of a Halloween theme for our film faves. That did not work out. Shanna doesn't like horror films. Right, and we couldn't come up with a list of movies that we love to watch on Halloween. Of course, when you're hearing this, it is Halloween, so we tried to fit with that theme. Couldn't make it, so we decided with Raw we were going to go with coming-of-age movies. That didn't work out either. Trying to stick with the theme of coming-of-age and, and, and some sort of sexuality theme, not enough opportunities. So instead, our film phase... Plan F. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Our, our fifth or sixth plan ended up being... Film faves, our favorite sister movies. And Jeff wanted it to be sisters by family definition, not yes. necessarily best friends. Yes. Become sisters from other mothers. Which I actually ended up being able to be successful. We'll talk more about that. But, so, our main event is a review of the French indie horror film Raw. And Film Face will be a countdown of our favorite sister movies. Before we continue into our week in review, I must make a correction. In the last episode, in talking about the film The Namesake, which was one of my favorite films of 2006, I incorrectly named the star of the film as Zach Penn. Rather than... The actual actor, Cal Penn. For some reason, my mind gets Zach Penn and Cal Penn mixed up easily. Their last names are spelled the same way. I don't know. Zach Penn, however, is the screenwriter of such films as X-Men 2, The Avengers, Incredible Hulk, the upcoming Ready Player One. He's a great writer. He is not the star of the namesake, however. <laughs> the star of the namesake is Cal Penn, who I correctly... Well... I mentioned he, he also starred in Harold and Kumar. That is correct in terms of Cal Penn, but not Zach Penn. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Anyway, so error corrected. Let's move on. Shanna, get us started with your week in review. 
My week has been extremely busy, so I have not had much opportunity to explore anything new. I sat in traffic for an hour longer than I should have and came home, grabbed my ice cream and switched on a scandal episode and told everyone not to talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, was this the season debut? Yes, I'm a little late on it, but watching the first episode was really awesome. I'm a big fan of Shonda Rhimes and Kerry Washington. Yes, you are. (laughs) Huge. So... There were, I wanted to mention that the first episode of This Will Be Their Last Season oh. um, has great unity between the two main female characters. They stand together. They don't let any man pull them apart or tear them down or destroy the trust that they have developed with each other, which can happen so quickly in real life and film. So I just really appreciated that they addressed that, these two women in extreme power positions for the country uh, were trying to be torn apart by several other male characters who wanted Mm. the power. So I just really enjoyed that. So if you're into that kind of thing, go ahead and check that episode out. You you should watch the rest of the seasons too before you do that because then it just, that conversation is just so much sweeter. So a real quick question. You've been watching Scandal since the start, obviously. How is this season starting compared to past seasons? Has the show dipped at all in quality? Well, I need to watch the other episodes to be able to answer that properly, but I love this show. Mm -hmm. It has the right dosage of drama for me. I like to call it my stories. It's a little saying that we have in our household that, you know, don't talk to me when I'm watching this particular show. It's a very South African thing. Yeah. I am enjoying it so far. I was a little nervous about it. There is one season in there that I don't like as much as the other seasons. I think it's maybe season four or five that Mm. I didn't like as much. But this is a great show and it's evolving right now because certain things have changed for characters and it's bittersweet. Mm. Very cool. And what, what season is it on now? I believe it's seven. And you can find that where right now? Hulu. Awesome. For my Week in Review, I was only able to squeeze in a couple things myself. We've had a lot going on lately. Uh, The first, plug your ears, Levy, you're not going to love this, but I saw the original 1990. Are you serious? You're going to go there. Stephen King, it. You're sleeping in the (laughs) doghouse. Go, bye-bye. Shanna has something against uh, this uh, this story. She finds it too creepy beyond comprehension. So here's what's going to... You get to say two sentences and then you're done. Oh, there's the yeah. impossible. You're no. Ta- <laughs> no, you're wrong. You're talking about <laughs> no. a... What is this? Three and a half, four hours? How long is this thing? It is... An eternity uh, well, of torture. You haven't... Have you- while Jeff is figuring that out, I'm going to tell everyone why I don't like to talk about this movie. It is because my parents took us to a drive-thru. They had us... Oh, sorry. (laughs) This is the McDonald's. It's a drive-thru the movie. (laughs) (laughs) They took us to a drive-in. I think my brother and I were maybe, I don't know, five and three. And they thought we had fallen asleep in the back of the car. We had not. And it was a horrible experience because that is what they went to go watch at this drive-in. How old were you at that time? Five. 
Five. Yeah, that's too young. I saw you this. Think? I saw this way back when it aired on ABC. I was ten. It was the first. That is of, also too young. Well, I, hold on. No. It, it was the first of what would end up being almost an annual uh, Stephen King event. It was actually the that pre-teenage was actually the perfect age for this, where it was I was young enough to be scared, but not young enough to be scarred horribly by it. Here's the thing. I hadn't seen this since 1990-ish. Coming back to it 27 years later is very interesting. First of all, it is not at all that scary at all. I think the film, while it does have its strengths I'll talk about in a minute, it does have its, it does suffer from its t- clear TV production values. And also, for it being a 3-hour, 12-minute film, it was originally aired in two two-hour segments, so it was four hours on TV, there's not a lot of really clear, fleshed-out character development in it. Which is odd, because the characters are what really drive the story. You know, because, for those who aren't familiar, for whatever reason, the film bounces back and forth between... A group of friends when they were when they were kids and when they're adults, both both times of their lives they have to deal with this threat to their town, which is a creature that takes the form of a clown named Pennywise. It uh, basically abducts and eats children. None of what you really actually see in this version, uh, as I recall, it's all kind of off screen. But at any rate. So you're two sentences in now. Yeah, I, I told you it wasn't going to happen. The strength of the film is actually the performances, particularly by Harry Anderson and Annette O'Toole, John Ritter, and in the kids you have a child actor named Brandon Crane, who plays the younger version of... Who was the younger version? I want to say John Ritter, if I remember correctly. And then... Seth Green was also one of the better child actors. If you can believe it, Seth Green was in this. Some of the casts sell the film, make it bearable, but really it's middle-of-the-road middle Stephen King fare. It's not one of the best. I was really hoping it would hold up as one of the best, but not so much. But it is definitely a worthwhile curiosity. If you are a Stephen King fan... If you haven't seen it in decades, or if you just seen the new film and are curious what the original was like, uh, it was released three years after the book was published. I am now, I have to say, curious about the new version. I have a feeling, of course, it does not suffer from TV production values. I have a feeling it is a little more frightening. But I am curious to see if it does develop the characters and why they're afraid of certain things. A little bit more and what's their motivations and such my brother has shared with me a few of the terrifying moments so i will not be watching that so you go have fun and yeah. keep that to yourself and I, off the podcast well i well, yeah, i can't um, and see now i have to fo- i have to do a follow-up in the, in the future when i do rent the film you can do a follow-up to the doghouse <laughs> <laughs> all right so that was stephen king's the it TV miniseries from 1990. Next, I apparently got stuck in 1990 because I also revisited 
a World War II film called Memphis Bell, which also came out that year. Also with a huge cast that included John Lithgow, Matthew Modine, Eric Stoltz, Tate Donovan, D.B. Sweeney, Billy Zane, Harry Connick Jr., a lot of a lot of people. A lot of them at the start of their career, more or less, too. Not John Lithgow, though. Basically, this is about a true story of the Air Force's first bomber that was finishing up its last of 25 bombing missions, and it was going to be the first unit to come back home. John Lithgow is a supporting character who's like uh, the Air Force's PR man, and he's all excited, and he's all jazzed about these group of guys because they're the first to come back home. His character's not the best written character. This film tries to be a nice, soaring, inspiring, moving war epic. It really falls short. I will say that... A good chunk of the film is the actual mission itself, where they have to go and fly over a certain area of enemy territory and and bomb a particular facility. And that entire journey where they're coming across enemy fighters and they have to to defend themselves and they have other pilots, other planes defending, and other bombers nearby, all of that's actually pretty riveting. I was... I was completely sold on not only the danger of the mission, but the precariousness as well. As you see people not surviving, falling out of planes, you get the real sense of, oh my gosh, these people are falling thousands of feet, you know? And so that is actually a really effective aspect of the film. However, every scene where it's trying to be, you know, the, the score swells, and, you know, you get this, this sense that it's supposed to be this stirring, moving scene outside of the actual air mission, it, it falls flat. It's, it's fairly limp. It's definitely not a diamond in the rough. It's not a overlooked war movie classic. It's fairly mediocre uh, as well. So, But it is worthwhile if you're a fan of war films, if you're a fan of uh, this cast at all, it's definitely an interesting curiosity to check out as well if you can find it. But just keep your expectations fairly level. So that's Memphis Bell from 1990. Jenna, I don't think you and I really watched anything together for our week in review. So shall we move on then to the main event? Yes, this is what we watched together during the week. Yes, and, and it took us a while, too, to get around to it. So I was very lucky. I became a godmother this week, so that's why we're a little behind. It's one of many totally reasons. Totally worth it. Absolutely. So, let's move on to our review of Raw. Raw, for those who aren't familiar, I'm going to be... I'm going to vague book this thing, and we'll get into specifics in spoilers, but... Basically, it is about a teenager who goes off to vet school, where her sister is also going. This particular and is a year ahead of her, I believe. Yes, she's already been attending. Um, she's at least a year ahead of her sister, and there's a, a severe hazing ritual, a whole week of hazing that takes place, which is the time period that this movie takes place. During that time, this young woman who calls herself vegetarian starts to 
experience intense cravings, let's say. Carnivorous cravings. Yes, and things escalate from there. Now, Shanna, we like to, when we do our reviews, talk first about what we liked about a film and then move on to what we didn't like, what was the good and then the bad, and whether or not the good outweighed the bad in general discussion before we open it up to spoiler talk and final thoughts. Tell me your thoughts about first-time director Anna DeCarno's Raw. Well, I certainly liked the evolution of the cinematography. It matches very well with the character's evolution. I love the simplicity of the story. I love how slowly it moves, how it unfolds piece by piece to show us what's actually happening. That does give me a chance to foresee what will happen. So it's very exciting for me. I very much like the performances. I thought the actresses were encompassing the roles very well. And I just thought that the sister bond was something to aspire to, hopefully without the, the horror element. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, the sisters, by the way, are played by... Garan- Try not to butcher it. Yeah, this is <laughs> going to be a hurdle. Garance Marillier and Ella Rumpf, I believe. So yeah, was there any other phrase that you had for this film? Well, something that... I really thought was interesting was the older sister that's already there. She has this look that's very similar to the one character in The Craft. Oh, you're talking about Fruza Balk's character? Yes. Ah. But I thought, oh, she holds it up much nicer than <laughs> the other one, the one from The Craft. So I thought that would be a fun thing to mention. Yeah, so... I have to say, first first and foremost, this is an incredibly impressive debut film. The confidence that this director, Anna DeCorno, has in handling this material is really impressive. You so have a thought. So, would this be double F-rated? Double F-rated? I, yeah. would, I would say since... I uh, felt the characters were really strong. Oh, I think I mispronounced the name. I think it's Julia DeCorno. I, I, I want to say I said a different name. Oh, no. Okay, yeah. It's uh, Julia DeCorno. I apologize. And she actually wrote the script, too. So this is actually a triple F-rated film. Woohoo! Go, yeah. Julia! Yeah. Anyway, so... And thankfully, it's, it's a really good triple F-rated film, I, I would say. I think the main... Performance by uh, Grand Melier is spectacular. Her transformation, her her physicality, and the way she uses her face and her eyes and her body. Is, yes, uh, but particularly the other features that I mentioned are really impressive. Um, she, you, there is definitely an arc with this character. And it is very well defined by the performance. I think for a first time film, the gore is very impressive as well. The production in, in general is, is very impressive. The lighting, the use of color, you have certain themes going on throughout the film with color. It's a very confidently directed and very well-handled film for a first-timer. It's, it's incredibly impressive. 
And it is a story that definitely stands out. You will not forget this film when you see it. I also would say that it is not necessarily a film that, I, that is riddled with flaws. There is one thing that I suppose is more of spoiler territory that we can talk about that's really more towards the end. But what else can I say that I, I admired about the film? I will say this. Another podcast I listened to mentioned this film way back when it was playing in Seattle Film Festival, SIF. And I got the impression that this is the most goriest thing and most unpleasant thing you will ever see, this side of Antichrist. And I was like, <laughs> who's not looking forward to watching this film? Oh, Jeff's face was hilarious. It is not nearly as bad as I expected it to be. In fact, it's one of those movies that once you actually watch it, you kind of realize how bearable the film actually is. But there are some really wince-inducing scenes in this movie. It's not necessarily frightful, but it is... It's very light horror, actually. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of body horror. That's what it is. It's the body horror that, that really got under my skin. It's so really interesting because I can't do any kind of horror except body horror. And mm. it can't be one person doing it to another person. It has to be self-body horror. Which often so that like is the bo- case. Like yeah. Black Swan. yeah. I think you should check out more David Cronenberg's films because you might find... Oh, I don't need to absorb more of this. Well, you might you might find, if you like the, the self thing, you might find it interesting. Oh, I don't like work. it. I'm just saying but, I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, there is there's some... This is definitely a movie where the body horror escalates, right? From one thing to another. You know, from a rash to hair that's been chewed on... To We're gonna show our steps on that part to make him stop chewing his hair. <laughs> to, <laughs> uh, so to uh, you know, pieces of bodies being chewed or cut off, etc., etc. And that's it's very effective in how it escalates, but it's not. It doesn't feel cheap, right? It feels organic to the story, and it feels really like realistic. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why it's so effective. Now, there's two aspects to this story, I feel, that uh, I, I think is very interesting. One is, in a way, a college movie, and it's about adapting to college life and, and, and how, how challenging that can be. Well, right? it's, it's really good at showing how you break away from who you've been told you are yeah. to who you think you might be. Yeah, I mean, and, and also you're able to be a little bit more hedonistic you're, or in uninhibited. I mean, there's like raves in this movie. You know, there's sex all over in this movie. So that's definitely a factor, right? And also you have this sibling relationship as well. Now, I don't have a sister. I'm not a sister, right? So I definitely can't speak to what that experience is. And you you don't have a sister, you have a brother. But what did you have any thoughts, if any, about how the sibling relationship was depicted in this film? I thought this was a very strong sisterhood. I mean, I got the sense that since the older sister had gone to veterinary school, that the younger sister and her parents, for that matter, had not heard much from her. Mm. 
And I think it's just sometimes you need to do that to figure out who the hell you actually are. Create that space. Yeah. But it also sounds like she was quite a a rebel, so Mm -hmm. that would make it a little hard. And so when the younger sister gets to the older sister, it's just really fascinating how sometimes the older sister can handle the younger one being around her, and sometimes she can't because she'll see something that is still ingrained in her from her parents raising her in a certain way. Hmm. And I think that that's very interesting. It just shows this complete rejection of how her parents raised her hmm. when she sees that in her younger sister. See, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't catch on to that. I did It's very subtle. I would imagine so. I did, however, catch a degree of the older sibling itis where you might be protective at times of your younger sibling, but uh, also there's times where you're like, you know, come on, get with the program, you know, you got to do this thing. Don't be a baby. Don't, yes, yes. Which, yeah. You know, uh, she's definitely not sheltering or protecting her sister fully, right? She's definitely a part of this environment and... Her sister needs to get with the program of this environment and and go along with what what needs to be done, right? Not cause problems, which I I thought was interesting because it's not one way, it's not another. It's kind of a a nuanced balance, and it makes it feel like a more more realistic relationship. I I do feel that it has realism to it. I think... There's more to say in spoilers because I think that Mm -hmm. this relationship isn't just what we've just mentioned. It gets more complicated as sibling relationships do. Right, absolutely. So then why don't you talk a little bit about any issues you had with the movie? You know, you've had 24 hours to (laughs) chew on it, no pun intended. Oh, ha, ha. Did you have any issues, anything you thought was a failing of the movie? I don't think that this film had a lot of weak spots. I can't really think of any mm-hmm. weak spots. Maybe something that I can't see a connection with is a particular scene when she's having her rash inspected. Mm-hmm. And the nurse brings up the story of how some doctors are biased when it comes to a patient's weight. And I guess I'm not drawing the connection there. I'm sure there is a connection. Maybe it takes a second viewing. I'm not sure, because I do think that this film has layers. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I, if I remember correctly, I took that scene to just kind of speak a little bit more to the feelings and uh, impressionability of someone at that, that age, you know, that, that in that story, everybody always mentioned her weight and made her feel self-conscious and this one person had not i know that the french people from what i've been told and this is not all the french people but there are a lot of french people that are really fat intolerant Mm. so i kind of understand where that's coming from i mean and i guess i don't know if that's this is a design of the movie if this is how it is in, in because it's a movie or what, but I didn't actually, now that you mention it, see anybody who was overweight in the film. It's not common in France, Mm. and when foreigners come to visit, they do get heckled. My Mm. mother was heckled, so, Mm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so I, I have one 
thing that's really kind of more spoiler territory. That's that's a a mild issue in terms of whether or not the good outweighed the bad. It's definitely not something that ruins the movie. That said, do I love the film? I probably will not be in my favorites of the year, but I would say qualitatively, it's probably in the top 10 uh, best films of the year so far that I've seen. I do think it's a very good film, and I do highly recommend it, mm-hmm. especially for someone like me who's like petrified of like paranormal horror, but is okay with the more realistic horror that mm-hmm. could possibly occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had a, a problem with the hazing. I know that in South Africa, hazing has become illegal. Mm-hmm. It became illegal, I think, when I had reached eighth grade. So I was kind of like, phew, because two kids that year had died mm-hmm. from hazing. So I, I just find it a little primitive when I see it happen, even though this film is very primitive in its theme. Right, but did... Do you are you saying that it just bothered you on it's a just a personal level? level. Or, okay. So if anyone does have if that's gonna rub them up the wrong way, which it can, you probably should not watch this film. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, different strokes for different folks probably, but you know definitely not saying it's a flaw and the depicted poorly or anything like that. No, I think it's depicted realistically, mm. which is why it's like so horrifying. Yeah, yeah. It is uh, definitely uncomfortable sometimes to watch and sometimes really bizarre. Well, I mean, there's sexual assault happening and they're making yeah. it okay. So that's really not... Yeah, the movie's not making it okay. No, but the, the... Yeah, the environment, yeah. It's tolerable or what have you. Yeah, yeah that's not okay. Right, right, yeah. <clears throat> Shall we uh, get into spoilers or did you have sure. any other general thoughts? Uh, so, before we get into spoilers, once again, we both highly recommend this film. Raw, it is available on Netflix at this point for you to stream. If you haven't seen the film, you'll want to skip ahead to film faves. Otherwise, continue listening as spoilers for Raw begins now. Okay, so, the end. You have, okay. Well, I thought we could start start light with okay. maybe the sisterhood bond. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, it, it also shows like how sometimes you can't really take handle your little sibling and you will take like advantage of them when she starts dangling that body in front of her and people are filming it and now she's become this outcast. Yeah, that was weird. That's over halfway through the film. It yeah. was like her, uh, the main character gets really drunk or something right oh completely wasted yeah and at this point she's like full-on carnivorous she's eaten or chewed on her sister's severed finger which that's a whole other story how that happened right she's i think this is this this is right before they they start eating each other you know she's engaged in a Incredibly wild sex with her gay roommate, and and which climaxed with her chewing on her wrist. Yeah, it was very vampire-like. Reminded yeah, me of True Blood yeah, a little. Yeah, and now her sister does this to her because her sister clearly knows, and I think it's established at this point that her sister has similar cravings as well. In yeah. fact, is this before the accident? This is before the accident she causes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So carry on. You're saying. Well, it's just interesting that, you know, then she goes and attacks her sister when she finds out what she did. The main character. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, there's this beautiful scene 
that's very animalistic that happens when once they both have hold of each other's, I think it was arms. Yeah. In their mouths. It's, it's weird, man. It's like they see each other. Yeah. It was like they were fighting. Like an avatar? <laughs> sure. I see you. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like they can exist in the same space. Mm. Like they don't have to be, one doesn't have to be more alpha than the other. You can just both exist. Mm. Interesting. Well, and that was one thing about the film I wasn't really clear on because it doesn't, it's not explicit, it's not didactic. I wasn't sure if what was happening was specific to these two girls. Was it something that all the girls experience in, in this world? It was very clear that this does not happen with the guys. I mean, this is very clearly a film, a story told from a female perspective, right? When women are showing any nudity, there is not a male gaze at all. It's a very matter-of-fact gaze, right? I, I don't know. You, you think that the, that the, the director, Julie, is is lingering on the bodies in a sexual way? Well, I'm just taking a second to think. I guess it's not for the men. It's really for the woman because we even have that scene where the sister is helping, the older sister is helping the younger sister wax down there. So Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely... So oh. I guess it's functional. Yeah, so... Oh, I, I was saying that it, it was unclear to me, though... Because it was clear that the men were not experiencing this, I wasn't sure if this was something that all the girls were experiencing because clearly the older sister had experienced this or if it was particular to these two sisters. And it wasn't until like over halfway through the film when there is that video that is shown in that whole party and afterwards people are responding to, I think her name is Justine, the main character, very standoffish. They want to stay away from her. She's definitely, like, absolutely creepy and weird, as far as they're concerned, that it started to make... that It was started to be clear that it was something that these two girls were, for whatever reason, experiencing. I kind of liked how vague it was about that because it worked more as a metaphor for a certain coming of age or a sexual awakening etc. But then you have the final scene of the movie. And this is when the main character is sitting at the table eating breakfast across from her dad. And her dad basically reveals to the audience why they are experiencing cannibal urges. And I'm not sure that I'm a really big fan of that that oh, last real? second reveal. Really? Well, because then what it's trying to do is say that this is specific to this family and it's a whole, like, it's almost like it's creating... Like hereditary? Yeah, it's almost like it's creating this last-second mythology, essentially. And and I'm not sure that I'm a fan of that as much as thinking of it as something that's vague and more that can work more as a metaphor. You clearly have thoughts. Look, you can still take it as predatory. Um, as, as predatory? predatory? Yeah. Just got that word stuck in my head. Ah. Ah. Look, you can still take it as a metaphor, okay? You don't have to be thrown off by the, the, the concept that, oh, this is hereditary. It can still be 
metaphorical for things. Okay, then what is it a metaphor for? No, no, we're not going to talk about that right now. I'm <laughs> you don't know. I'm trying to justify You're saying it can be a metaphor. Something. But how does the metaphor work if you're look, saying... Look, here's one way you can look at it, all right? Think about that older daughter. Yeah. All right? She is rebellious from the... Probably from about age 15, it sounds like. I mean, I get the sense that she was a rebel. You're guessing, puberty but started. yeah, you're not okay, probably well, far off, yeah. Let's just say then that it all happens at veterinary school. Yeah. When you leave your home. Mm. And she finds out... That she is not allergic to meat. She finds out that she can eat meat. She finds out that, oh, well, look at this. I actually want human meat. This is, mm. here we go. Mm. And she fends for herself. Here's something that she has to discover by herself. She has to learn how to uh, feed herself. She has to figure out how she's going to carry on through life with this craving, mm. this desire. And the mom had it easy. We find out that the mom, you know, had met her husband, the father, like in veterinary school in the first year. And since then had been nibbling on him throughout their life together. And okay. that means that the mom knew that this was coming for her daughters, mm -hmm. yeah. and she should have actually told her daughters, this is, this is us. Instead, the daughters have to go and figure it out for themselves. And what I'm trying to say is, getting to the actual point, is that the oldest daughter is more like the mother than the mother actually cares to notice. Okay. And so it you're gets saying, under her skin. You're basically saying that this is a metaphor for how our how we are like our parents, no matter how much either party tries to resist. I don't think it's a matter of resisting. I think it's a matter well, of... the mom you just said was trying to shelter them from it and trying to basically make them not like her, right? In which case, if that was the case, why enroll them in the same No, I don't school? think that that's what I was saying. What oh, I was okay. trying to say is, this mother is a poor mother. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she was not there for her daughters, is what I'm saying. Okay. Like, tell your family the truth, whether it's mm. your daughter, your mother, your sister. Mm. Like, tell them what the hell is going on. Mm. Otherwise, you're not going to know, be able to travel through life as a functional person, which she ends up in prison right. or a psych ward, you know, whatever. So some of what you're explaining does lend to the uh, the whole mythology idea that I was I was um, explaining, and I I think the film works better as a, a metaphor for for especially women's urges and and how sometimes. Women feel and act in certain ways, and it doesn't always necessarily make sense. And I'm not saying it in a disparaging way. I think it's simply, I think simply the, the director is, is depicting as metaphor a certain kind of coming of age and a certain, tight, a certain period of a young woman's life. They are, you know, trying to figure out who they are. They're engaging in sophomoric debates about man versus 
man versus animal or what have you. And they're all of a sudden exposed to all these things they weren't exposed to previously. There's a lot of different, very female-specific imagery in, in this uh, film. And I really think that the film really works better as a metaphor for female urges and, and growth and such. And then this whole, like, mythology of, oh, you know, the parents were like this too, and, and all that sort of stuff. I found that less interesting. Again, not enough to kill the movie for me. It's almost one of those movies where it's like, you almost stuck the landing, and then you went in this direction kind of thing. I don't agree. I am not bothered by the ending. I, I Look, I agree with the positives you're saying. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, if you can ask the questions, have the thought process to ask where you come from and figure out what your past is, I'm not speaking about yours specifically, I'm speaking about your ancestors, your parents, your grandparents, etc. You can have some sort of line to follow or you're able to make a better line for where you need to direct your life. And this is a great example. I'm not saying this is the whole film. No, but it's very that, much not. That little ending could be interpreted as, you know, here's your history. Here's what's actually happening. Here's what you can do with it. The mother is barely featured. Yeah. Most of the time... She's like, what, we three don't even, scenes? But we don't even see her face. Mm. We, see, we barely see her face. It's like something out of Toy Story 1, you know? Can you imagine Toy Story going in this direction? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Andy's going off to vet school. Oh, no, that's awful. <laughs> uh, but okay. before he goes, his mom will make sure he knows his past. <laughs> okay, so one last thing. This film has some incredibly iconic imagery, I think. Like, it, just shots that... You will not forget. Like, you will see that screenshot and you will immediately identify this movie. From the shot of her chewing her arm to the shot of her staring at the boy and blood coming from her nose, you know? Which is really when her face really starts to transform, you know? There are, there are a few shots in this movie that are just... just I'm watching that and it's like, wow, that is an iconic shot of this movie. And I just, I just really had to mention, I thought that was worth mentioning and pointing out. I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if that's one of those things that just kind of happens organically. I mean, you can't really like force a, an iconic shot, but it's very, very interesting. And a lot of them are in the, in the trailer. Yeah. I definitely think that this is a trailer you need to see. Because there's so many visuals, stimulating visuals that happen. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, the trailer actually isn't uh, spoiler heavy either. No, it's very, they keep it very mysterious, which is lovely. It's actually par for the course. If you've ever seen a a foreign language trailer, you know, usually those foreign films, they don't have much dialogue and it's just shots of the movie. It's, It's very vague. So this definitely follows along that path too. I will say that I, I really did enjoy the how the predatory evolution was happening. It was really quite stunning to watch. Mm. 
you know, they start off really slow and subtle and, and then it has a couple moments where it's very extreme and overpowering. Mm. And it's nice that it has that variety. Mm. It's really great seeing this scrawny little sheltered, coiled, pale girl. Yeah, yeah. Like really sickly looking. <laughs> like, man. It's not like she's like, you know, callow and her sockets are really like, you know... No, but it was Whatever. it was pretty sickly, and um, <laughs> and then to see her evolve to this like very sexual predator mm. beast is quite something. Absolutely, and I did love that. You know, even though her sister ate this boy that she really liked, who's her friend. Well, yeah, a friend that she At lost her virginity to. Well, yeah. So I mean, that's important. Yeah, in the I mean, section, but again, so. like, let's be clear, like, he regretted that. He definitely, like, I don't even, I was surprised it happened in the first place. He was very clearly gay, <laughs> you well, know. Experimentation all the way, apparently, yeah. at vet school. So, <laughs> as sophomore. But I really enjoyed that that sister bond kept going, even though they had had this fight and this stuff. They had apologized, she had apologized yeah. to her sister the older one. She's and actually caring for her older sister toward the uh, yeah. final moments of the movie. When she finds out that that's what her older sister did. Yeah. She goes and she takes care of her, mm-hmm. cleans her up. You know, it's not how she would want to be seen by the public, so she she helps her sister mm. through that. All right. Well, that was Raw, and you too can check it out on Netflix or let us know what you thought of the movie. Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. All right, now it's time for Film Faves. Film Faves is a segment inspired by a section of the Gibson Review blog where we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. The purpose of this is to not only give us a sense of our taste in movies, but also hopefully expose you to certain films you have yet to hear of or see yourself. Now, why 12? It's been a while since I explained this. The reason why is because most lists are about 5 or 10 with some honorable mentions. I decided get rid of the honorable mentions, have the full list of, of 12 movies, and be done with it. So... To, in the spirit of trying to expose you to films, we also try to point out where you can find these movies on certain streaming platforms. So we highlight when a film is available to stream on Netflix, HBO Now, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and... Is that it? Did you say HBO Go? H- well, HBO Now, HBO Go. Okay. Yeah. So, here's the thing, though. Sometimes, a lot of times... Our movies aren't available currently to stream. Case in point, none of my movies this week are available <laughs> to stream. But hopefully you can hunt these films down. Yeah, and this usually a- you can rent from places like iTunes or Amazon or even yes. Microsoft I just discovered. Right. So right. you can also go and hunt bargain bins. Or best argument ever for actually retaining the Netflix DVD plan where you can find almost every movie. Anyway, so if there is a movie um, on Shannon, Shannon, do you have movies on any of those platforms this week? I have this week? two. I have one okay. on Amazon and one on HBO. Go. Okay, so she will highlight those when she comes across them so you know where to find them. 
So this week's topic is sister movies. I tried to keep it to movies that where the main story, if not the B-plot, was heavily driven by two sister characters, the sister relationships. You want to tell us a little bit about your list before you dive into your number 12? Well, it was really great. I was able to figure out all these movies by myself. I didn't have to look online for inspiration lists. So that was really exciting. I might spurt off a, a quote or two because that's how hilarious it is to me. And we'll just see how this goes. So my number 12 is Frozen. This is F-rated for writing and character development. It stars Kristen Bell, and who doesn't love her, and Idina Menzel. They are in this Disney film as sisters. This is a, a great film that serves as an example of sisters not giving up on each other that go through moments where they're giving up on themselves, mm. but then the sister steps in and helps them, and they end up saving each other. So that's a spoiler. Too bad for you. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I thoroughly was surprised by that twist. It's usually mm. the guy that saves the girl. And I love In loved, a Disney movie in, in particular. In a Disney mo movie that has yeah. singing. So I thought it was great that the sisters saved each other. So go Disney. Very cool. So one of the things I noticed most is, as a recurring theme in my list, uh, sibling rivalry is a, is a big, big recurring thing in movies about sisters. And uh, when it's not that often, it's about the bonds between sisters. That is certainly the case with my number 12 pick, The Color Purple, which is the Steven Spielberg 1985 film that launched Whoopi Goldberg's film career. Wasn't it debuting Oprah Winfrey as well? It might have, it might have, yeah. But so this is like previously Whoopi Goldberg was a was a comedian and this this took her in a completely different direction. So while this is a film about how her character is stuck in an abusive household, the heart of the movie is the the relationship between her and her sister and how she hopes to someday see her sister again, who if I remember correctly Ran away and escaped long ago. Yes, that, that is correct. She did get away, and she was able to get with a family that was that was good. Right. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a sometimes a hard film to watch because of the challenges that Cecil, played by Whoopi Goldberg, goes through. But when she does finally get reunited with her sister, we all weep, of course. Uh, moved. Well, chunk is a better description, mm. actually. Yeah, if you're from South Africa. <laughs> so that's my, that's my pick to start off my list. My number 11 is... I forgot to mention that Frozen is available on Amazon. Oh! <laughs> uh, so sorry. Amazon Prime? <laughs> yeah, I believe so. Unless I saw it wrong, in which case I'm sorry. So number 11, My Sister's Keeper is available on HBO Go. This is a gut-wrenching film featuring... Abigail Breslin and Sofia Vasiliva. I really hope that I didn't ruin that. I really, I do apologize if I did. I really do love you. Uh, she starred in the show Medium. And oh, God, she's a great actress. I, I want to see more of her. Abigail was born to save Sofia. And they take bits from her, like bone marrow, in order to keep her older sister alive, who's, 
you know, dying of cancer. Again, this is an example of one sister helping save another sister. And it goes from, you know, giving her parts of herself to helping their mother let her go. No matter what happens, she continues through the turmoil she is causing her family in order to have her sister die peacefully. Um, and I don't think that's a spoiler. I mean, I, th I think we're good. At this point, if you haven't seen the film, I, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I guess I have If you haven't little. seen the film and it's not widely <laughs> viewed, we should I, probably leave it I'm up. sorry. You, you should have watched anything that starred Sofia Vasiliva. So there you go. Who's even heard of this person? Oh my I goodness. just told you. The star of Medium. Okay. So, and Frozen is not available on Amazon Prime. Oh, so it's then, only available to buy on Amazon. You know what it is then? So something that happens if you use your digital copies and you link it to your Amazon account through your Fire TV, when you go onto Amazon and you look it up, it's going to tell you, you you know, you have access uh, to it. So Another reason why uh, JustWatch.com is a really great resource for finding what's available. When it works. My number 11 is A Streetcar Named Desire, the 1951 film starring Marlon Brando and... I have never seen this film. Yeah, I don't know if it's a, a film that you'll love. It stars Vivian Leigh, and I can't remember her sister right now. I'll be looking this up while I talk. It, it, does, it does feature some smacking around and a little bit of some older attitudes. So that's called sexism against women and well, domestic violence. The thing women. is... There is a yes. I won't. I won't necessarily <laughs> argue against the domestic violence part, but one of the aspects of the story is Blanche Dubois, played by Vivian Leigh, is very clearly down on her luck, but she's pretending like she's this Southern belle that you know, you know, she's got issues, but she's pretending like that's not the case, and she moves in with her sister. Played by Kim Hunter, Stella, Stella, the favorite. Oh, uh, Stella. Stella! Right? Yeah. Uh, Marlon is her, is Stella's husband, Stan Kowalski. And basically, Blanche comes in and is completely disruptive of their household. And yeah, while their relationship is volatile, she's, she's disruptive of, of uh, and makes things even worse and more volatile in, in the household it's a very interesting dynamic and it's one i really need to revisit i've been wanting to rewatch with you shanna for some time if for no other reason than it is an iconic american it sounds film sounds like it's not good for me to watch i think you will ball yourself up a little in stress at times but it's definitely at least a one-timer and if you haven't caught up with streetcar named desire you need to check it out, if for no other reason, at least to be able to say you've seen it. And also, like, really, Marlon Brando and Vivian Leigh's performances are absolutely worth the ticket price alone. But yeah, the, the relationship between the two sisters is fascinating. I think you get a little bit more of uh, the relationship between Stan and Blanche. And then, of course, uh, she ends up getting the attention of a guy named Mitch, played by the great Carl Malden. That's a whole other subplot to the film. But anyway, 
Streetcar Named Desire for the two sisters and how one sister can totally fuck up things <laughs> by coming back into the other sister's life. More on that dynamic later. I have a film that has that dynamic as well, a little later. So my number 10 is Sisters, and I believe this is available on HBO Go, at least it was a little mm-hmm. while ago. This stars Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, so uh, need I say more. It's great when sisters support each other, kicking and screaming, not wanting to let go of the past. We have to have each other's backs at times like that, and that's what they do in this film. My number 10 is a little Canadian horror comedy called Ginger Snaps from the year 2000. This is not a movie for you, Shanna. Uh, this is a werewolf film and one where there is lots of dogs dying and stuff. Oh, but thank you for letting the, the world know. But this is not what the uh, focus of the list is. The focus is on sisters. And this is about two sisters where one gets bitten by a werewolf and the other's trying to help her sister get cured. There is definitely, like in Raw, a sexual dynamic and uh, that's introduced in the film. Not necessarily between the sisters, just this this kind of awakening, so to speak. You know, coming of a certain age sort of thing. It's not a great film. I think most werewolf movies are not great, but it still probably squeaks into the top five werewolf movies ever made. It's Canadian, so that tells you what the production values are. Be warned. It's not, it's not superb, but... It's still an interesting and, and somewhat fun movie to check out. And when I thought of this list of movies about sisters, it's one of the first handful of films that came to mind because of uh, these two main characters and how they one does try to look out for the other, even though it doesn't always work out for both of them. My number nine is Sunshine Cleaning. The stars Amy Adams and Emily Blunt, what a beautiful duo. A mom starts a biohazard crime scene cleaning company and has her sister help her. The one who started the company is responsible and reliable and the other is not. And that always makes for an interesting contrast and is sometimes realistic of the whole sister relationship. My next film is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, the ultimate in sibling rivalry. Really? Oh, yes. If you haven't seen this movie, you absolutely do. It does fall into the category of horror. However, it's kind of a campy horror because what um, one sister does to the other is just, let's just say it's not nice. This stars Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford is a sister who was more successful than her her sister, played by Betty Davis, in film career. She was a star, but then she met with an unfortunate accident, let's say, and um, was crippled. Baby Jane, played by Betty Davis, she was um, she was the quintessential child actress. You know, pigtails and everything. And even in her senior year, she's stuck in that time. She still wears the pigtails and everything. And I would say mentally and emotionally, she's stuck in a certain age. And she just absolutely resents Joan Crawford. 
it's kind of a delicious uh, film to dig into. It sounds like fun. It's, it is sort of fun. It can be a little too much for some people, but it's definitely a classic worth seeking out. That's whatever happened to Baby Jane. My number eight is The Color Purple. Now, even though Steven Spielberg directed this film, it's actually based on the Pulitzer Prize novel by Alice Walker. And it's one of the few films by Steven Spielberg with main female characters. Mm-hmm. Main female of color. That too. This is my number eight because these sisters fight for each other. They never give up. They're in a time where there is... I forget. I'm so spoiled. There's this time that I'm living in where I can communicate with anyone. It uh, doesn't matter where they are in the world. And that was not possible at this point. The only way you could communicate was through letter writing. And sometimes the letters would not get to you, either because of some sort of transportation issue or a disgusting husband. So <laughs> I hate it when my disgusting husband keeps my letters. What a jerk. Let's all kill him now. Jesus. So, I'm sorry. He deserved it. Although I am going to mention that Danny Glover does go through a good evolution. Mm. Um, and that helps free everyone from the past. And that was great. I will say, growing up on Lethal Weapon movies, it's really tough going back and seeing the color purple for the first time. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> that's how I know Danny Glover is because of Lethal Weapon. Right, and right. I was like, why are you being this way? Right. What is your problem? Yeah, right. Oh my God, Danny like, Glover was an asshole. It's really <laughs> awful for me personally. I take it very personally. I'm like, why are you doing this? I just want to get in that TV screen and just like punch him. Right. So my number eight is Martha Marcy May Marlene. Say that three times really Martha fast. Martha Marcy May Marlene. Yeah, no, you can't do it. Wrong. Yeah. So this is from 2011. <laughs> this starred Elizabeth Olsen and is actually the film that got Elizabeth Olsen attention. Oh, wow. There's an Olsen sister that has talent as an actress. You don't have to be such a little <clears throat> bitch. It's not just me. This was general consensus. And for good reason, because she is remarkable in this film. She plays a woman who had was living with a cult, escaped the cult, and sought refuge with her sister, played by Sarah Paulson, who had basically written off her sister. They definitely did not have a very good relationship. And some of the trauma that Martha experienced in the cult does not exactly rub... Her sister and her sister's husband, especially, the right way. But this is a really interesting film. Like, most of it is is flashbacks to Martha's time in the cult. But the, the main story takes place, the, the present-day story, takes place with Martha staying with her sister, who is is trying to be patient and help her sister, even though her sister isn't necessarily forthcoming. Martha's not forthcoming with everything that's, go- that she- that's going on with her. It's a very fascinating film, and if you haven't seen it, if you're kind of wondering, you know, yeah, sure, Elizabeth Olsen, uh, Scarlet Witch, Avengers, right. Uh, you really need to check out Martha Messi, Mar- Main Marlene. My number seven is 10 Things I Hate About You. This is a film that happens in Seattle, just saying, and Tacoma. 
It stars Larissa Olenek as the... Oh my gosh, what happened to her? I forgot about her. Oh, I said it right. That's great. As the popular <laughs> sister and Julia Stiles as the sister that sees high school for what it is from a cynical context, but mm-hmm. nonetheless for what it actually is. Yeah. Larissa can only date when Julia does, a rule set by their father. They both start to see each other's experiences and gain understanding of what each other sees. Great film for that. Interesting. I saw that movie many years ago, and I, I can't say the sister relationship is what I remember. Though, to be fair, I don't remember much from that movie. I need to see it again. You, you really do need to watch it again. Yeah. My number seven is Rachel Getting Married. I like that. The uh, 2008 film by Jonathan Demme starring Anne Hathaway and Rosemary DeWitt. Another example of Sister Being Away... And coming back and creating havoc. In this case... Why do they do that? (laughs) (laughs) In this case, the sister was not abducted by a cult or joined a cult. She instead was uh, an alcoholic, I believe. It was Um, an addiction problem. Yeah, actually, I think it was worse than alcohol. I think she literally got high and stuff. And unfortunately, her addiction led to the death of a sibling. She happens to get out of rehab just in time for Rachel's wedding. Let's just say it doesn't go smoothly. But it is very fascinating to watch. And it's I a recommend. great example of how pain can totally kill a family. Oh, gosh. And, and be very uncomfortable to watch, too. Mm. Okay, my number six is Only Love is Left Alive. I spoke about this film before, but I'll oh. tell you why it's on the sisters list. The couple enjoys their time together, just pure love for one another. Then the couple sister... Couple of vampires. Yeah. Very important. Then the sister vampire arrives. Right, 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 And right. she causes all sorts of nonsense for her sister and brother-in-law. I like this relationship being displayed because usually things get sorted with sister films. Uh, but in the case of this film, it, it does not. And it's nice to see that realism. Yeah, I forgot. That's a really great pick because you have the sister is played by Mia uh, Vasakowska, who was having a moment at that time. And, uh, you know, very destructive sister, uh, for sure. Yeah, really doesn't pay attention to, to other people, you know, no. totally self centered. Uh, well, vampires, family. Um, <laughs> totally self centered bitch. Yep. So, but oh, really well done. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great pick. My number six is 1998's The Parent Trap by Nancy Myers. Aw, that's a cute one. It is a cute one. It is one that I did not expect to like. I've grown fairly cynical to Disney's live-action movies, even in 1998 or 2000. But I was really won over by this new actress named Lindsay Lohan, who I didn't necessarily... Yeah, she used to be great. I know, right? Right. Like oh her gosh. other Disney film was awesome too, Freaky Friday. She wasn't in. Oh yeah, she was. I yeah, forgot. She was. Yeah, she was. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't like that as much. But um, Parent Trap is very sweet. I have to say, I did not like the original Parent Trap with Haley Mills, and in this version, for whatever reason, I found to be a a, a a huge improvement. I don't know exactly if it's the the modern sensibilities of it. Um, modern now, it's like. 20 years old almost, but at the time anyway, or or what, or what, if it's just simply Lohan's performance, 
who was very convincing as twins, um, actually. And mm. I should back up, like we all should, at any time we talk about a movie. And in case you don't know for whatever reason, this is about two twins who are separated at birth because of a divorce, living on two different continents. They happen to come to the same camp together and meet each other, and they're trying to get their parents back together. This is bad parenting. 101. Yeah, it's a little, it's like, a little weird. Like, who does that shit? Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. And I don't think it's really addressed, if I remember correctly, how fucked up that is. It's no, more like either version. Yeah, it's more like, ooh, wouldn't it be cute if we got our parents back together? Oh, isn't yeah. it sweet that our parents separated us from birth and we're twins? We shared a womb. And they're such great parents. Yeah, but it, it is still a charming film. And mm-hmm. I recommend seeking it out. Okay, my number five is Hocus Pocus. Three witch sisters trying to regain their position in the world and retain their youthful appearance by sucking the life from the little children. They stick together through thick and thin and <laughs> through stupidity and more stupidity. Yeah, they sure do. My number five. What the hell is that? <laughs> you don't have to like the films that I like. No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I definitely am not going to tear down your choices. We respect our Move favorites. <laughs> number five for me is My Neighbor Totoro. That's a good pick. Which centers around two sisters who basically have this, is it like a summer, I believe, together while their mom is in the hospital. So they're trying to get closer to her, so they move to the country. Right, yeah, and as a result, they end up coming across these spirit creatures and and have a little bit of an adventure while uh, intermittently visiting their mom in the uh, in the hospital. And I mean, I don't know if there's an animated movie with sisters that's better than My Neighbor Totoro. No, I think they're the best currently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's It doesn't go into the nuances of sibling relationships like Raw or whatever, you know. But it is a, it is really sweet film, and it is a very easy, easily digestible Miyazaki film. It's, it's a lot of fun. They're really great great characters. Uh, adorable, too. Um, I think at one point, like, one throws, like, a little fit or whatever. Like, remember the, 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 the crying? She's so mean! Exactly, <laughs> yeah. It's, like, so terrible. Everybody who has a sibling, it doesn't have to be a sister, totally gets that yeah, line. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And the way Miyazaki animates those youngest, you know, just little girls. Waterfall of always, tears. Yeah, just so adorable. Anyway. <laughs> so terrible at refining satisfaction out of that. <laughs> it's because we hurt too. Number four is... Bride and Prejudice. Oh, you're kidding me. The Chada film. I did not think of this one. That's a great pick. Okay. So this is an adaption of the Pride and Prejudice book, which has been given a Bollywood twist. (laughs) Four sisters doing everything from light-hearted singing to saving the young naive one to accepting each other's quirkiness. This is a really fun film of sisters, and there's lots of little things that are happening between the different girls. Well, it's also matchmaking is a big element of. Yeah, but uh, they're not this. partaking in it. Well, they're not making it happen. I, it's 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 definitely a factor, and and there's a, I'll get to my pick that involves mm. matchmaking later. My number four is in America. 
Lovely. Which is the 2003 Jim Sheridan film. Probably my favorite Jim Sheridan film I've seen so far. That one makes me cry buckets. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Now, this film is just as much a, a film, a father film, as it is a sister's film. Because it is about this family that is emigrating to America, Irish family. They, uh, one of the children uh, died. And uh, you have these two sisters. By the way, that is something that's revealed in the trailer, so I'm not giving anything away. You have these two sisters, and the film is definitely told from one of the sisters' point of view. I think it even has her, the oldest sister's voiceover often uh, during the film. And while the dad's trying to get work and trying to be able to support the family, the sisters are just running around through this tenement building in New York City. It looks like and, fun, actually. Yeah, you know, just trying to entertain themselves. And, and sometimes they go down to the street to uh, the, the shop nearby. And sometimes they bug their, their neighbor, who's uh, you know, one of those off-putting artist who's always screaming, but it turns out he's got a lot of pain and he's, you know, got a heart of gold, played by Jamon Honsu. Yeah, just a, a clue for life. Mm. An, artist, <laughs> <laughs> an artist always has a lot of pain in them. Sometimes yeah. they'll react badly to it and sometimes they won't. And this is a film that alternates between very being very magical and just extremely extremely heartbreaking and, and painful and it's just also a beautiful film and I definitely recommend seeking it out with box of Kleenex in tow. Yeah, have fun with that cleansing cry. So, number three for me is Lilo and Stitch. Nani and Lilo are sisters. Nani is the guardian of Lilo trying to create a stable environment and support Lilo. Uh, one of my favorite lines from this is when Lilo decides that she is going to wreak havoc and nail the front door shut. So, I mean, it happened for a reason, but this is making it impossible for Nani to support her. And the, the social worker is coming to see how they're doing. And she says to her sister, you are so dead when I get in there. I'm going to stuff you in a blender, push puree, and then bake you into a pie and feed it to the social worker. And when he says, mm, this is great. What's your secret? I'm going to say. And that is when she gets pulled out of the door, doggy door, <laughs> by the social worker. And it's just such a great reality of sisterhood right there. You do have these moments when you say you're going to kill your sister. And I just really enjoyed that one. Hopefully not often having wishes of putting them in a blender and hitting puree, though. <laughs> <laughs> that does get messy. <laughs> that's, that's pretty gross. But, but I didn't think of that pick. That's a really good pick. Mm -hmm. My third favorite sister movie is Zombieland. That's a great pick. The 2009 zombie horror comedy, more comedy than horror, that's uh, co-stars Emma Stone and Abigail Breslin. Hey, we've as... both got Abigail Breslin. Oh yeah, right on. As two sisters, Wichita and Little Rock. Now, they actually are important because they drive the rest of the story. As the group, which also is Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg, are trying to head to this amusement park in California with the naive hope that there won't be any zombies uh, there. And of course, 
it's because of them that the, te- the climax of the film uh, takes place at an amusement park, which is all over the trailer, by the way. Anyway. And the poster. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you get the poster, that's not of the four characters. Anyway, so it's, it's, it's a fun movie. They're fun characters. It's really cool seeing uh, Emma Stone, you know, two years after Superbad, a year before Easy A. This was kind of a step up where, like, oh, it's the girl from Superbad! And uh, right before her huge breakthrough, breakout role. Uh, fun movie, and those two sisters drive the, the story. So that's my third favorite movie about sisters. My number two favorite movie of sisters is My Neighbor Totoro. Hayao Miyazaki's film. Two sisters move to the country. You know, everything we've kind of mentioned, mm-hmm. but... Something that I really enjoyed is how the younger sister refuses to be without her older sister. Mm. They're kind of inseparable, and the older sister tries to deal with it because it's, it's actually kind of difficult for those who are the younger siblings. It is really difficult to deal with that attachment. It's lovely that you love us so much. So but it can be irritating? I mean, like, you can't yeah. break away. So, And I think that that theme is evident in Raw as well. Uh, um, interesting. So it's it's really great, and that's why it's so heartbreaking when the younger sister says, she's so mean. So, yeah, that's yeah. That's my number two. Awesome. Very good. My second favorite movie about sisters is Fiddler on the Roof. That's a good pick. Now, this film is... Primarily following the father, another great father film, Tevya, who's dealing with all of a sudden his daughter's growing up, and one by one they start going off and being uh, and and getting husbands, and little by little they start breaking the rules. But again, you look at it on the other side, it is the sisters who are driving the story, right? They are the ones that's causing their father this this um these headaches, these heartaches, you know, all the <laughs> way down to I think it's the youngest sister who absolutely breaks tradition completely and yes, falls the daughters in love on her are own. doing this on purpose to hurt the father. No, that's obviously not what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, it, it it escalates one after the other, if I remember correctly. But you have also the famous ultimate <laughs> song <laughs> of between sisters. Oh, matchmaker, right. matchmaker. Yes, that's featured, uh, well, made reference to in Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. <laughs> Not a movie about sisters. <laughs> no. But. But still fun. It is, it is funny. So, I love this film. It's a very uh, moving film. If we ever do a Father's Day special, you may hear about this movie again. Cause and it, Mrs. It's, Doubtfire. It's such a great, great film. And if you haven't seen it, do not be intimidated by its length because it does go by at a pretty good clip for a film that's a film about essentially Russian um, Jews, <laughs> you know, but it's great. And it's a great, it's my second favorite film about sisters. My number one ultimate favorite sister film is Practical Magic. This is starring Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman, witches cursed to have the ones they truly love die. They also live in a small town, so they have a lot, they have a lot going for them, <laughs> a lot of intolerance aimed at them. So even when they are apart, their, their bond remains strong. Even when they are stupid with things, they have each other's backs. 
and are there for one another and not only do we have Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman as sisters we also have their aunts as sisters so this is like this continual sister generation happening here and then you know Sandra Bullock has her two daughters in this film so very cool it's a very it's hashtag sister girls <laughs> also a film that was produced or that was shot in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, it has a divine house. I really want to live in that house, but it's not real. No, it's not real. It was built on a national park. My favorite film about sisters happens to also have been my favorite film directed by a woman. If you've heard that episode, you might know what to expect. It is A League of Their Own. Also... A great example of sibling rivalry, right? Because Laurie Petty is always trying to measure up to her sister, played by Gina Davis. And it comes down to one final baseball game, you know? I mean, it's just this constant buildup. You know, do they both get on um, accepted by the National Women's Baseball League? You know, do they get on the same team? Are they competing for attention in that team, you know? And when they are in different teams, who's the better team? Who's the better player? So on and so forth. I love this movie. I love this movie so much. And I really, really like this relationship. The two women have really great chemistry. And you know what? When you have that bookend, when it comes back to the bookend, and you see them as as older, older women... I believe that that's the same characters. They look so similar to the actual actresses. And it's just, I don't know, it works so well uh, for me. You have no idea what I'm talking no, about. No, I do. I think you just need to double check that fact. No, I, I really do. I, like, I've seen if the it's film. right, that's like awesome casting right there. It is. It is awesome that was casting. That film was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 love, I love the film. I love the sisters. I love the characters. I mean, the whole film across the board. It is absolutely my favorite movie about sisters. It is A League of Their Own, directed by Penny Marshall. That's a very good theme, having, you know, sisters feeling like they need to compete with each other, especially like the younger one trying to stand out from the other sister out of her shadow. It's a very good theme that seems to resonate. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what's your favorite movie about sisters? Is the one that we haven't mentioned that would be on your list? Feel free to email us, thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us in this episode of The Movie Lovers. Shanna, where can people find you online? So you can find me at shannapaxton.com. You'll find my other social media channels there. I do love sharing my Instagram account, and that's A, Woman's Journey to Empowerment. Uh, It's with an A because it's about each woman's journey to empowerment. So you can go ahead and follow that if you like. Very cool. Check out... Jeff's um, list. (laughs) Check out Facebook at the Gibson Review. You can always go to thegibsonreview.com to find past episodes, past lists, past reviews. On Facebook, you'll find mini-reviews and 30-party links as well as links to the past episodes. And where else can you find me? Um, how about Flickchart, the Gibson 99? I think I actually officially might have updated and cracked 3,100 
movies on that list. Uh, so find me on there, and uh, we can chat or, I don't know, compare lists or what have you. And always email thegibsonreview at gmail.com with your feedback. Next time on The Movie Lovers, Thor Ragnarok. Woohoo! Will be our main event, so we're very excited. The next Marvel film. I don't know. I don't think we had Spider-Man as our as our main event before, so earlier uh, this year. So it'll be good to have one episode about a Marvel movie. Although we did with Guardians 2. That's right. Guardians uh, 2 was a main event. Anyway, we're back to Marvel Land with Thor Ragnarok, and we'll have a, a little bit of an easier time. Because we're going to go back to our March through time. With 2005 as our film film. Oh, lucky number for me. I hope it was a lucky year of film. I'm really going to be upset if it wasn't. Yeah, we'll find out. So I think you'll be able to find that episode on November 13th. So keep an eye out for show notes and updates on Facebook. In the meantime, keep loving the movies. And this is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye. Bye-bye.